Welcome to Oppenheimer's Let's Talk Future podcast. In this format, we bring you timely and relevant conversations with thought leaders and industry experts. Join us as we explore new ways of thinking about the markets, investing, business, new technologies, and life in general. In this episode, our guest is Jason Helpstein, Managing Director and Senior Research Analyst. Our host is Joan Corey, Chief Marketing Officer. This episode was recorded on November 16th, 2020. If you enjoy this podcast, be sure to click on the subscribe button. I'm Joan Corey, Chief Marketing Officer at Oppenheimer & Company. I'm joined today by Jason Helfstein. Jason is a Managing Director and a Senior Analyst covering the internet sector. He oversees all aspects of the firm's internet strategy, and his coverage includes consumer internet and e-commerce. He is an award-winning analyst and a frequent contributor to CNBC, print and digital publications, and social media Jason's career started with coverage of U.S. broadcasting and advertising. As media has expanded to an omni-channel delivery model, he has analyzed companies of all forms who bring solutions in our digital world. He has a unique perspective on how digital disruption has enabled tremendous change, which leads to innovation, which leads to investing opportunities. Today, we are focusing on just how our lives have changed, especially during this pandemic. These changes include how we live and play, including how we shop, how we are entertained, and how we take care of our health. So Jason, welcome. Thank you. So Jason, let's start with a big picture question. The digital revolution has produced many significant and lasting changes to the way we live and the way we play. Just take us back 10 years. Talk to us a little bit about how that feeds into today. If I go back to 2010, I think the average American was spending about four and a half hours a day watching TV, about two and a half hours online, um, as, as you know, the internet was kind of well established then, uh, but only spending 50 minutes a day on their mobile phones. Today, people are spending three and a half hours a day online, so an extra hour, but three hours a day on their mobile phone, so six and a half hours a day of digital time. Facebook was not yet public. That occurred in 2012. Today, Facebook is an $800 billion company and consumers spend half their mobile time or one and a half hours a day with Facebook's products. When I think about e-commerce, back then e-commerce was about 4% of retail spending. Today, it's 17%. And we've seen a significant increase in that percentage just in the last few quarters due to COVID. When we think about entertainment, Streaming then, if you watch Netflix, was largely being done through people's laptop. And Netflix's first original piece of content, House of Cards, did not air until 2013. Today, people are watching about 70 minutes a day of Netflix, mostly through smart TVs. When we think about eating, online food delivery was barely in existence as Grubhub and Seamless did not merge until 2013 and IPO'd in 2014. This year, 8% of total restaurant sales will go through online platforms. If we think about transportation, if you wanted to go somewhere, particularly in urban areas, you called on your phone for a black car or stood on the street with your hand in the air. While Uber and Lyft had reached 1.6% market share pre-pandemic, 
I think all of us would agree that these companies are now the primary form of urban transportation or for business travel. And uh, lastly, while you may have not been using a travel agent in 2010, you never thought about renting a room in a random person's house and booking it on your phone in two minutes. And I guess I'll throw one more tidbit, uh, which I thought was interesting. You know, in 2010, you basically needed cash if you wanted to pay for something under $25. Today, you can now pay for a pack of gum with your phone and you can pay the check by scanning the QR code. So while it may seem like big changes since 2010, given how early we are in the digital lifestyle based on these different market share figures, I, th I think it's clear the digital transformation is actually just beginning. That's so interesting because so much has changed and so much is yet to come in the way of change. This pandemic has really forced a lot of changes to, to everybody's way of life. Um, for example, our health and wellness, you know, just from how we exercise today to how we interact with our doctors, even to how we may have an app for meditation or relaxation. So can you give us a little uh, bit of your insight on how the digital revolution will continue to evolve as it relates to digital health and fitness? Sure. I, I think this is clearly, you ticked off a number of industries that actually benefited. Obviously, the pandemic is a terrible event, but you've had these businesses who were really at the right place at the right time. And generally, when we think about digital transformation, we think about you can't put the genie back in the bottle. And to the extent COVID has forced people to try something that they would not have tried before, that stays with you. So when we think about it, many people pre-COVID would have said, oh, they would not be interested in virtual fitness, um, whether spinning, yoga, or weights. Just I think about myself, I've been meeting a trainer over FaceTime. And while I wouldn't have ever thought about doing that pre-COVID, that's just been the reality. But shifting to Peloton, in the most recent quarter, they grew subscribers 137% year over year, even with a six to 10 week backlog of getting a bike, right? So that doesn't even cover all the people that want one that may have said, I don't want to wait that long, I'm not getting one. On top of that, that's before they launched their lower price treadmill, which is coming in January. Think about Peloton when it first came out, people, you know, there was a view of, is this too expensive for most people? Today, you can finance a bike over three years for $40 a month very similar to how Apple is now selling their phones. Yes, there's another $40 kind of membership fee on top of that 40, but to the extent you share that across multiple family members, it'd be hard to find kind of a gym that was could be price competitive, or especially kind of a, a premium studio uh, workout experience. Think about the gym industry, which has been incredibly resilient. I, it was one of the few industries that actually grew through the financial crisis. They actually grew gym members in 2008 and 2009. Meanwhile, COVID is now causing record gym bankruptcies, and it's hard to imagine that the industry will have the same capacity post-pandemic. And so while I do think people will want to return to socialization, we're never going to go back to exactly where we were. So a great example of, you know, kind of how Peloton will be transformed by this. We think about telehealth, online pharmacies, usage has clearly been accelerated by COVID. And so again, now that this is accepted by insurance and kind of people have learned how to do it, why would you make a physical appointment to treat a tick bite or get prescription skin cream when the virtual option is better? Yeah, no doubt that um, behavior changes have, have really happened 
overnight and healthcare has has changed. So let's let's switch gears and talk a little bit about media and entertainment. You've been following media and entertainment for many years. You began your career covering out of home, I think, and for our listeners out of home are billboards, you know, signs that you might see on taxis, buses, or in terminals. And then subsequently, you move to broad-based media companies. And I think you've added social media platforms to your coverage. So give us your perspective on how we've changed the way we communicate and also the way that we consume information. Sure. I mean, just to go back to the out-of-home, you know, now we have digital out-of-home, right? And so talk about kind of transforming something and you know, even kind of, uh, they, the goal was even like when you walk by a display in the mall, it would show you an ad just for you, but that could be a little bit dangerous when we get into personalization. So when we talk about consumer spending six and a half hours a day online and three hours of that on their smartphone, what are they doing? What are you doing in that six and a half hours, right? I mean, I think our employers want to know how much of that's coming into our, our work. But again, like I said, once the genie's out of the bag, um, you know, we're communicating, we're entertaining ourselves, we're shopping. So about half of the that three hours um, mobile, like I said, is social media. You know, the amount of time, and I think what is now clear is like most people now get their news, you know, right or wrong from social media. And, and that's really kind of obviously caused a lot of questions that as a society we're asking. Again, not sure how that gets corrected because for whatever reason, people have opted out of turning on the cable news network um, or opted out of uh, having a newspaper subscription and they're, they're finding. So whether it's convenience or cost, you know, that's where they're spending a ton of time. And then obviously that connects into communication and information sharing. You know, if we think about over 50% of e-commerce now happens on your mobile phone and it, with the advancement in cameras and, and artificial intelligence, that experience is only going to improve, whether the ability to you know, take a picture of an item that you are thinking about and then it can scan it and find it and all these things. So like, again, you know, the idea that the superpower in your pocket um, is both distracting us during the day, but also enabling us to um, find and buy things that we may have, may have thought about it. And just thinking about during the pandemic, how many people bought shampoo or toilet paper online for the first time? And this is just really transformational. And then look, I think it's telling that Apple launched you know, in, in, in not the most recent, but in the last version of their operating system, a feature called screen time, because they actually didn't want to be associated with almost too much screen time to the extent that it was um, dangerous or, you know, people's lives were out of balance with the amount of screen time. That's very, very interesting. And it feels like media can also blur into entertainment. And it seems that entertainment has also changed significantly. Streamings to have placed theater and ticket sales. You know, we've seen a transition from sort of the big blockbuster movies that we used to see in tentpole films to more serial-based content um, on the streaming platforms and podcasts. So like we're doing today, are these trends here to, sit, to stay? And what do you see? Sure. So I, I don't know about you, but I've been definitely doing more reading during COVID because there's not enough to watch, you know, between the cancellation of spring sports and then the limited amount of new content on cable because production was was halted. We're seeing a record number of households cut the cord, meaning give back the equipment to the cable company. Um, this year, it's forecasted that 25 million U.S. households will no longer have pay TV. That's up 
46% from a year ago. And while this may be kind of a spike in that number because of COVID, the thought is that this trend will continue. So how are these people being entertained and informed? Well, we already said this may be one of the reasons why so many people are getting their news from social media because they've given the cable box back. But really, streaming media is the clear winner here. For example, Roku, which is the dominant smart TV operating system, added uh, will add about 15 million accounts this year, or households, if you want to think about it that way, up over 50%, reaching 52 million households, or about half of all legacy TV households. And then on top of platforms like Roku, we then see consumers engage with Netflix, with Amazon, with YouTube, and then you have new platforms such as uh, Fubo TV, which is packaging all the sports and entertainment you might want from cable, but in an affordable and more convenient way. Um, you you made a point about kind of movie theaters, et cetera, and kind of out of, I guess it's a form of out of home entertainment, right? Because there were ads in the movie screens. Because of theater closures, for the first time, Disney is launching their animated films directly to their own streaming service um, for an additional fee. And then there were press reports that MGM was in discussions to sell the newest James Bond film to one of the streaming services, albeit uh, the press reported that the price was too high. So we may still see that back in the theater, but you wonder how long it will be till people feel comfortable sitting, you know, a foot away from a stranger. Um, you know, if I think about music, you know, music at this point is kind of an old story. We all receive music digitally at this point through various um, streaming services, whether it's free, ad-supported, you know, limited paid, full paid. Um, the focus now in audio is really on podcasting, as you alluded to, which is now considered an emerging form of media. There were an estimated 88 million U.S. podcast listeners last year, and that's expected to surpass 160 million in 2023. So maybe we're going to need to be doing more of these, Joan. Absolutely. Well, that would be perfectly fine with me. Let's talk about shopping. You talked a little bit about shopping and online, but the kinds of shopping has changed and how we are consuming goods and services. So lots of new players in the market, lots of new categories, lots of extensions. Can you walk us through some of the categories that are new and interesting? Sure. I think you know, maybe a good kind of phrase to, to begin the, the kind of point is that necessity leads to discovery and then to enjoyment. And I think um, if anything, kind of COVID has borne this true for certain categories. So let's take Etsy, for example. They're a seller of um, handmade, customized items, crafts, et cetera, um, doing well, but a relatively kind of smaller player in the scope of e-commerce. And then suddenly we all needed masks. And whether you couldn't find a reasonably priced mask or it didn't fit right or you thought it was ugly and wanted something more fashion forward. And as a result of that, the, the active buyers on their platform dropped from 45 million at the end of last year to 60 million in the most recent quarter. And spending per buyer is up 50% year over year. And so obviously, while you know some of that is one time in nature, the idea that consumers have been exposed to the Etsy platform for the first time is a tremendous benefit and probably will continue. Um, we can think about another idea that, you know, insurance. You know, when they found that people were sitting around spending too much time on social media, a company by the name of Lemonade, who is trying to make home insurance easier, um, leverages and has done incredibly well. 
Um, they've grown their customers 67% year over year in the most recent quarter, and premiums were up over 100%. They're now expanding to pet and life insurance. So, you know, who's to say that we're just wasting our time while we're looking at social media? We may be making better financial choices. Clothing, a different example. So we go back to, by the way, 2010, you couldn't buy designer or luxury clothing online. Um, they wanted to get you in the store. Um, this year, 13% of designer clothes and accessories will be purchased online, with Farfetch shows uh, online marketplace having 8% market share of that. So I would expect there will be a desire to get back to the shoe department at some point, but there may be less choices of what shoe departments you can get back to after the pandemic. Another category, as we're all thinking about our homes, how we're spending our time, I'm in my home right now, um, looking at residential real estate. This is an industry that is at the very beginning of going digital. Um, Redfin, which is a, the leading online brokerage firm, they grew their core revenue 36% in the most recent quarter. And in fact, what slowed that down is they didn't have enough agents to process demand, and their market share sits at just 1%. So talk about kind of the beginning of a transformation. And then just even further jumping forward digitally in real estate, a new form of home selling called iBuying, where you can get an instant quote at a discount to the market to sell your home without any of the hassle or interruptions of allowing tours, dealing with paperwork, lawyers. This is proven to be very popular, still at the very early stages, but you'll hear more about this in the coming year. And then lastly, um, online dating. I mean, online dating has been around for a while, kind of well before 2010. Um, but you know, with COVID, there's been increased relevancy as bars, as we now learn in New York, now have to close at 10 o'clock. Not that they were even fully open, but the ability to meet people and socialize just that much more important, doing it digitally, Tinder owned by Match Group. Um, they have six and a half million paid members, and they've grown at strong double digits throughout COVID. Those are just such interesting changes to go through from how we buy insurance to a home to dating. That is remarkable change. And I, I think, you know, from all the conversations that we've had today and talking about various companies, I think that it has been amazing how well we've seen adoption happen with these emerging technologies and companies. I think the platforms are increasingly getting very smart about who we are. They're able to help curate uh, goods and services for us. They're able to be much more personalized, um, understand me, understand what might be next uh, for me. And I think they've done this through sort of the aggregation of data, that allows them to see into online and offline and behavior to make suggestions to me. And they're continuing to increase in sophistication. There's two sides to the coin on that, of course. And so maybe you could spend a few minutes talking about big data and privacy and just how you see that in the future as we continue in the digital revolution. It's a great question. Over the you know, decade plus that we've been watching digital 15 years. One of the things that seems to ring true constantly is consumers opt for convenience over privacy. Now, what's a good example of this? In the early days of cookies, which were the early form of um, internet behavior tracking, there was a period of time where like they, they made consumers aware, hey, we're doing this, you can delete your cookies, right? Kind of get your privacy back only 15% of people would regularly delete their cookies or delete their cookies on a regular basis. Why? 
because once you delete your cookies, that customization went away. When you went to the web page, it didn't know anything about you. And we've all grown, to your point, incredibly comfortable with the fact that we go to a web page, we open it up, and it already seems like it's meant for us. And you know, we're at an interesting point right now. Both Apple and Google have, have talked about removing behavioral tracking. Um, the question is, do consumers really want this? Um, we have, you know, kind of pundits in the government, other places who say that consumers are trading their data, kind of giving their data, but they're not getting fair value back. Now, I think that's incredibly subjective, given that these are in many cases are products. And then there's the whole factor of customization. So, look, I think this is a debate that is going to go on for a while. I think as some of this, these kind of cookies and features are taken away, when consumers get to a page and they suddenly say, this doesn't look like what I'm used to, that's the, the counterbalance. So we'll see if this, that same adage can be true with dealing with these big tech companies, but definitely a debate kind of going into the future. So let's talk about the future for a minute. I'd love to know what you're thinking about today, what you're gonna be thinking a lot more about in the future, and just a little bit about where your curiosity is taking you. The biggest companies are trying to basically take it to the next level. From a consumer standpoint, I'd say ambient computing is something that particularly, you know, Alphabet, Google, but in general, all the companies are thinking of. And so the idea is the computer is always listening and you can say what you want. Order me food. Get me an Uber. How long will it take me to go to work? What's the weather? Now, again, also Amazon with Alexa, et cetera. Now, for this to work, the cloud needs to be listening all the time. Will consumers want it? I'd say probably the test area is hands-free commands in the car, right? Or if you use kind of newer advanced headphones, it'll redo your text message and be like, do you want to reply, et cetera. Um, again, this is going to be like, what are the trade-offs, right? Convenience versus privacy. I think you're also going to see um, meaningful advancements in augmented reality. So this is where like you take your camera, and you aim it at something and it, it's digitally modified. And so for example, Snapchat is the kind of the earliest to experiment at scale with digitally try on lipstick, try on clothing, try on shoes. And they have advertisers who are integrating into that. Oh, we obviously all know that Facebook is a leader in virtual reality. They own Oculus. So far, it's still pretty early. There seems to still be like a chicken and the egg between how many users have the gear versus how many developers are making software. It would have been interesting to think about had they been more advanced going into the pandemic, would kind of virtual reality have been something that really kind of got the same boost as things like Peloton? But, you know, so that that's definitely an area. And, and I think some of us, there's been books about this and movies about kind of virtual reality and do we give up being in a physical world to, to be all digital? I think with all of us being in our homes, I think definitely our vote is now get back to the physical world. But that's definitely going to be a big focus. And then... You know, probably last is just cloud computing. So all companies of all sizes are basically transitioning everything, you know, to the, the cloud being kind of servers centrally managed by several large companies and just what the speed that allows you to do. And then to the extent if you can make your phone, your mobile device faster and it can interact with the cloud, whether it's your car interact, appliances in your home, what does all of that do? And so that's kind of where we're watching. I think we, you know, there's a question with a lot of this is when the technology can kind of capture up to, you know, kind of what the aspirations are of these big companies. Jason, thank you so much for giving us your perspective today. Thanks for having me today. 
As I listen to the conversation, a couple of points, I think, to wrap up our episode. The first is experience matters on all of these platforms. The second is there's convergence that's happening between how we live and how we work and play. Personalization is everything. Our behaviors have changed. We are all doing things differently than we ever thought we would. And the last is the future is now.